Hello, I'm Business News Managing Editor Sean Cowan. In today's second episode of the Future Perth podcast, I talk with Haim Charlie Chairman and founder Bill Hames, Hassel Director Peter Lee, and Edith Cowan University Vice President Enterprise and Development Sonia Mackay-Coghill about change and development in the city, what we do well, what we need to do better, and how Western Australia can make the most of its natural beauty. With me for each episode in this series is Committee for Perth Chief Executive Marion Fulker as we draw upon some of the committee's past research to drive the discussion. Bill, two of the projects that we're talking about today actually involved your firm, the Hillary's Boat Harbour and the the Bell Tower. So I'm wondering what you can tell us about those, what what you learned from those and, and how do we move forward to a position where in the future they're not going to be so controversial? We, we were involved in retrofitting the Hillary's boat harbour um, when the, a lot of the initial tenants left uh, and then they had to re, reconstruct it. But if you look at how it's been successful and at that period of time, they're also considering a further one north, which they didn't do. They are now doing it now. It's just probably four times the price. We should have done them both at the same time and we would have had the facility. So, uh, yes, you know, we listened to, we were going to silt up the entire Indian Ocean if they put a, a boat, you know, a boat harbour there. That hasn't, that hasn't happened. Um, you know, there's a safe place to swim and you only have to go and see today how many people are using it on a on a weekend and that and a hot summer's day, it's it's amazing. Have you seen the attitude change? Because you, you, there, there was a there was a huge public backlash to that, but we are actually seeing some backlash to the new marina that you've just referred to. Yeah. It's not as though it's all plain sailing up there it's and just, we're all happy for it's it. It's just different people at different times. Okay. <laughs> right. And you ask about the the bell tower, that was a small five and a half million dollar building uh, that you know, it caused more problems and political upheaval. <clears throat> but I didn't know where they were going to put the 14th century bells that we had sitting in a shed for about three or four or five years. It was embarrassing, you know. And we've got the holy grail of um, change ringing bells in the world uh, now housed in a tiny little building which. You know, it's probably in, a ha- in, in no more than what a <coughs> um, Western Suburbs house costs. So how do we change that attitude and is it already just, changing just naturally just, anyway? Just keep, just keep delivering um, projects that are of value and, you know, you just got to you know, fight the naysayers. You know, there's always going to be a naysayer, you know. The quiet, the quiet majority never come out. So you're seeing that with ECU? I think we've been really um, overwhelmed by the level of positive um, responses that we've had across the community from business, from our students, our staff, um, and really comprehensive community consultation has taken place. And we universally um, have have been told that um, they say this is a game changer in the city and we're being encouraged to not diminish our ambition but do everything we can to, to maintain and exceed that ambition. And what... What is that project going to bring? I mean, other than ECU and a campus, what is that project going to change fundamentally about 
Perth, about the look of Perth, about the, the interactivity in the city, about the vibrancy. Look, I think there's so many aspects to this um, that are incredibly positive. Firstly, is the location and that connection between the CBD and the Perth Cultural Centre. Combine that with what we're bringing into the city, and that's pretty unique from a university context. Um, we've got the Western, um, Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts, WAPA, Screen Academy, Broadcasting, um, you know, Journalism, really dynamic creative industries component that talks very naturally to that Rose Street, um, you know, Perth Cultural Centre and then we're bringing in our entire School of Business and Law um, and Technology which really does an activation um, job on the Wellington Street and CBD side and I think collectively um, it's going to bring 10,000 students, 2,000 staff that just in, in physical terms alone will add to the vibrancy but it's a you know it's a, a university that um, COVID permitting is very, very um, international in its profile and the students that will be coming in. So I think multicultural, um, performance, education, very exciting for the city on a number of levels. Peter, some of the projects that you've worked on that were perhaps a little more controversial had, had it, certainly had a heritage connection to them. So the, the museum, the, the Brookfield redevelopment. Is that something we should be doing more of? And, and, and if so, how do we identify those projects that might lend themselves to, to making something of heritage where perhaps Perth has a reputation for not having treated its heritage so well? Yeah, I'm, I think it's, heritage is one of the things that we really need to work on. We need Marion has a history of um, the Heritage Council. And we, I mean, we fought on... The, the problem is... Uh, Garum restaurant at the, we at, the, at the Western, we put the ballroom over the restaurant to create a public space, which is really wonderful. That was so opposed, it was unbelievable. We had to, and now if you, all the photos we use are of the ballroom hanging over the, the old building, it's fantastic. Brookfield Place was an argument about the way we treated the back of the heritage buildings. It took, we had a big argument to drop the slot at the back so we could engage in all the basements of those heritage buildings. 140 William Street was the same argument. Then when we came to the museum, we used the same argument about putting big building over the top of the, um, the heritage buildings, which I think, apart from giving great life, actually really empowers that Haddon Hall. It's just, uh, it's wonderful, Hackett Hall, it's wonderful. So, you know, that w when you make big, bold statements, they're really powerful but what we had to go through to get those things and every time every time we went back it's, it's us look remember what we did yeah, it's got, no you can go through the same process again so it's a bit boring but that's what we have to do powerful things with the, the heritage buildings rather than just be polite and stick a facade on and build something up behind it so i think those sorts of that that sort of char you know challenge and re meeting it really powerfully is is important for those buildings Marion, so we've, we've heard about a couple of, of developments there and, and there are some others that have, have maybe been difficult and challenging over the journey, you know, particularly things like RAC Arena, but, but even more widely things like uh, Elizabeth Key, things like, you know, any, any high rise anywhere, certainly along the coast. What, what's the, the common factor to all these the developments? Why are they controversial? Is, is there something you can point to that's in our DNA that means that we don't have high-rise all along our beach like the Gold Coast or we don't develop things in the, the same way as, as perhaps those East Coast cities? 
Well, the case studies that we're talking about today are under a tongue-in-cheek heading called What We Thought Would Kill Us. And we went back and had a look at some of Perth's most controversial developments. And the reason why was we wanted to understand if we were playing at Ford, if Perth was going to change and adapt, what did we need to make sure that we didn't do again? But as you heard from Peter Lee, we kept doing it anyway. Uh, and the community, so Bill talked uh, about the silent majority, there's not enough of us saying yes we're behind this project. So it's the squeaky wheel, the people that are calling talk back, writing to a minister and telling them no we don't want this and, and the bell tower was a case in point, project run out of the Premier's office of the day, Richard Court and you know, front page news. Uh, people saying do not spend $10 million on a bell tower because you should be spending it on schools and hospitals. Now don't, you know, people pay their tax for those things, they expect them to happen, but there are moments in time where Perth needs to have those little things where it grows up, it's showing a sign like a teenager that it's keeping on progressing. And um, the raffles was a really good example of that. Uh, people didn't want, what is on, basically on a peninsula, they didn't want a high rise. The uh, Old Swan Brewery, um, there was even a campaign at the time to not even have it redeveloped at all. So not take those heritage buildings and make them into something to actually knock them down. So uh, I just think we've got to harness the silent majority much better because that's what gives the politicians comfort that they are heading in the right direction. Certainly we've had some growing pains in Perth. But, but it would appear we are, we are starting to mature as a city. We're, we're reaching a point where perhaps we can do some of these things without people you know, shouting from the rooftops about spending $5 million on a, on a bell tower. What can we actually take our inspiration from? What have we done really well, especially in the last 10 years, that we can point to and say, we need more of that? If I can be rude enough to talk about some of our projects, but... Brookfield Place is as good as anything in the world. Brookfield are the largest um, office developers and owners in the world. Brookfield has put their names to um, the project in Toronto, the huge development in New York and Perth. The only three places in the world where they put their names to it. The stadium was voted the most beautiful sporting facility in the world and we're all very proud of that. And the museum was in the top nine most anticipated buildings to change the world. Okay, so when you do it well, and that's what we should do, is only do things well, but when you do it well, when you get that, that right, Perth gets noticed. The amount of publicity mm. about the museum in architectural magazines and things all around the world is monstrous. It's huge. Now, yes, because we do it with OMA, OMA's influence has been good there, but it's a fantastic building. It's, yeah, it was actually on budget. It's the building itself only costs two hundred and eighteen million, which is amazing. So it's good value and it's it's a world class building. We should only do world class buildings in this place. We do. I mean, at the end of the day, we 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 sort of have a cultural cringe, right? Um, uh, even the little bell tower got voted within the top ten millennium projects of the world, right? Now, did that hit the news? No. But was it all over British Airways at that point in time literature? Yes. You know, um, of all the Millennium projects, you know, there were billion-dollar stadiums, billion-dollar things all over the world. One piddly, $5.5 million building got in the top ten. I, I totally agree with Peter. You know, we already bat 
way above our average and yet we don't get credit for it we don't actually we're not proud of it we ought to be Sonia, can you can you add into that at all? Are there are there things that you think we can we can point to that we we should be doing more of? Look, I think we've got a, our DNA um, as a state is as a challenger, as innovators, as entrepreneurs, and I think that that really needs to translate into the projects um, you know that we're embarking on. And I don't think that um, you know we have a history of batting so far above mm. our weight. And I think that we've got to you know exactly as as my colleagues on the couch have said is really look at those projects that are going to shift the dial, um, and uh, and and put a lot of energy into into new space um, and and innovation. And fair to say, you know, with ECU's campus, they've thought about not just delivering a student experience, but something for the city. And they see it as a transformational project. And that's why I think the federal and local government are all party to it, you know, as part of the Perth City deal. Uh, that's what I think is, is happening right at present in our city. And ECU sort of started to be the catalyst, but there's lots of other things that are happening. If you look at some of the great cities of the world, let's pick New York, right? New York has got, you know, lower Manhattan full of Zegna suits and part of the uh, stock exchange. If you look at Midtown, it's full of insurance companies and office buildings, Zegna suits as well. In between, there's a little thing called the Valley. The Valley is full of performing artists, artists, um, you know, everything, comedy clubs, comedy jazz, clubs clubs. jazz clubs, music, everything. And you know what happens is the Zegna suits have to live with the creatives. And what happens, they become more creative Zegna suits. <laughs> and I reckon that what's happening right now is WAPA, etc., is coming into the city. Already, we are looking at two closed, old... Um, um, theatres, cinemas, to convert them into performing arts spaces. We are going to change the nature of this city. Yeah, it's going to still have a few Zegna suits left in there, but it's going to have a lot of creatives around the place at the same time. And that's going to start to attract a whole range of different people that didn't even bother to come into the city. They will come in now because we're going to have more performance art spaces. We're going to have WAPA there that's crying out for spaces because they love to perform. And there's got the other universities are also looking at the same situation. So I think we're off and running. And this was a place that had no cinema a decade mm. ago. <laughs> so what do we need to do other than the, the ECU complex, the, the, the city deal? Um, we've got a, a moribund east end of the city. We've got a new Subiaco precinct, not quite sure how that's going to shake out with the Subiaco East. Then we've got these wonderful beaches that Western Australia is so proud of and so parochial about, and yet go to the beach and try to get lunch at a cafe after you've had a swim, might end up in a line or uh, or not being able to get in the door because there aren't that many of them. You know, in terms of other things to see along the beach, well, there's a beach, and that's great. And then that's kind of it. How, how do we change this? This isn't a this isn't a two year plan, a five year plan. That that's a that's a big undertaking. What do we do? Where do we start? from our project's perspective um, we definitely talk about it not being the silver bullet it's going to be a, a collection of, of, of everybody getting together and I think that that 
um, connectivity between projects, particularly in the city for us is of, of a lot of interest. So how do we, um, we can create something fantastic right in the heart of Yagen Square. We've got Elizabeth Key down the road, but that's not exactly a really encouraging pathway or, or connection. And um, and I think that's that exists um, in, you know, in multiple directions from, from our side. And I think um, if you look at the stadium out on Burswood Peninsula, we've got all these, um, these disconnected, fantastic things. I think one of the things that we should be definitely having on the agenda is, is how do we encourage that connectivity, the safety, the movement of people um, through um, a range of a range of assets? Yeah, I, I, there's a big problem. I mean, we our, our guys in New York have done research on what's happening with office use, and Marion Marion's had a, a, and I think we've shown Bill as well. But so there will be less use of office. Yeah, you know, so mm. the demand for office will go down. So I mean, ECU is absolutely breath of fresh air in all the ways coming in the city but we need lots more we need lots more residential because there's a lot of people who aren't coming to this I, I try not to come in on Mondays and Fridays it's like you know it's a sort of it's been it's been a change it's been a change that's freed up lots of things for women who want flexibility there's a there's lots of good things out of that but the amount of people in the city is not is is a, a bad outcome for that so we really need to work very hard to make the city really a fantastic place but and the thing that think about you know 15 years ago we criticized our city because monday to friday was full and the weekends it was empty well as we we're just talking about as the nature of the place changes, and Peter and I participated in a in a workshop where we're trying to look where the city is, and I think they had a their strategic plan was something like having eighty thousand people in the city, and we all concluded eighty. It should be two hundred and eighty thousand. You know, you make no little plans, go for something. Right now, I, I actually think that the city is going to change. Right, I agree. The amount of office space, you know, will vary, but we're also going to have, you know, um, another two million people here in the next 20 years. So they're going to also add to where they want to work. I, I look at the millennials in our office now. They don't mind coming to work. All you have to do is make the trip worthwhile so that when they get here, there's something exciting, interesting to do. Yeah, it will vary. Right, um, but the types of people we're going to have in this city is just going to be so interesting, right? I mean, I, 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 I've said for years, I still believe it, you know, I, I had no intention ever of leaving the east coast of America to live on the west coast of Australia, Australia despite the fact I was born in Australia, right? I come from some very cosmopolitan in my, you know, early working years, and I ended up here. I had no intention to stay, except I concluded after about two years of being here. This is the San Francisco 50 years ago. It still is. It's sitting on the edge of the Indian Ocean, about to grow, unbelievably. San Francisco, is, 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 that, is that what we should aim to look I like? I don't know. No, we want to aim to look like Perth. Yeah, so what <laughs> is that? So that's what I'm getting at. So we've got, we're, we're talking about San Francisco and there are definitely some similarities. But, but, but West Coast, yeah. yeah. And it came out of a mining background, right? They 
San Francisco didn't grow until they struck gold, and then all of a sudden, which is the same we as we struck iron ore. Yeah, right? But what we're going to do is we've got to be ourselves. So, so what is ourselves? Our, our San Francisco office yeah. is doing lots of work for Google and Microsoft and others, and there's lots of people moving from the valley into the city. Yeah. And and it's into Tenderloin. It's not. It's not. It's not to Northbridge. It's not. They're not coming into St George's Terrace. They're no. coming back into the city for that creative, yeah. those creative juices and things. So San Francisco is a pretty interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. And it's also, you know, there are lots of things on the positive side about Perth that, with how we've gone through COVID, where we are, how safe we are, the fact that it, the whole world's ten years ahead of working, you know, separately. Well. Mm. We've, we've had a good year this year. Everybody's been locked down. The people in our London office haven't been in for 15 months. So <laughs> people haven't met each other, but we've managed to work and work through that. So being able to live in a place like this is, is a huge opportunity for us. And on the positive side, in 1996, I think we moved in the city, there was King Street Cafe and the restaurant I've forgotten at... Um, at the uh, um, hotel in... Um, oh, the Adelphi Steakhouse. The Adelphi Steakhouse, that's yeah. it, right? That was it. Then, you know... Ecotunas came in underneath us when we were in Central Park. That, that was it. Mm. So it's we're, we're really massively better. It's just we are in a lull here, and we're in a lull because of change in office. We're also changing retail too. It's yeah. not. It's not. There's a, you know, everybody's online. There's a change in stuff that you do when you come to the city that we need to take up with really young people that are interesting and hang around and um, use those spaces to to enliven the place. There is a bit of a danger um, and we need to deal with homeless. There's, a, there's some real challenges that we need to deal with at the moment. So, so Marion, what do we need to look like in 20 years time? We, we actually talk about having a population of three and a half million people. Um, but to do that, we have to attract people here. We, we, we probably, uh, you know, we're going to need to, uh, hopefully not to spread, but to, to go up. Well, what do we look like in 20 years time that you would say we did it well? And I think coming back to the point of the CBD needs to be the primary place for high density. So at the moment, we're trying to put density indiscriminately throughout the suburbs, and we're doing that to various degrees of success. So the highest high rise should be in the city, and then the suburbs need to have some sort of transition housing. So that's definitely something that we've got to do. But I think it comes back to Bill's point. When Perth grows up, it still needs to feel like Perth. It still yeah. needs to be, as you get off the bus, somebody says thank you to the bus driver. Someone's standing there with a map and they're looking a bit lost. Somebody goes over and says, can I help you? So it's as much about our character as it is about the buildings that might be around us. And one of the great things about the ECU campus was that when I heard the Vice-Chancellor talk, he said they're going to change their timetabling. So it's going to be well beyond the business day when we're going to have all of these students in and around, uh, including on the weekends. Absolutely. Well, Marion, we've got 300 performances per year on the Whopper schedule alone, public performances. But I think if anybody um, has been out at Whopper um, where it currently sits, our students find a stairway and they find make that as a performance stage. You have kids jamming and writing music on you know, on areas and grass spaces. And I think it's all that accidental engagement that comes with um, a university campus and particularly with WAPA that I think will be really exciting mm. for the city. But they're also storytellers. So they will go into laneways and the broadcasting and the, and the Screen Academy students will be capturing footage and, and bringing, I think, a life environment in ways that possibly when you hear a university is coming to the city, you don't 
necessarily expect, but there's all these unexpected um, aspects. We're, we're talking, you know, about what it looks like. We won't be just a daytime university. There'll be a nighttime, a natural nighttime economy. Hopefully that's the stickiness or adds some of the stickiness that we need in the city for people who come into work and then they want to stay and play and eat and be entertained, um, you know, in, uh, in what we think is going to be a really vibrant um, centre that will also activate the North Bridge and activate, um, you know, activate the areas around it as well. And there are a bunch of entertainers and they're going to be looking for an audience and there's a whole metropolitan area that will become the audience and those people that don't even think about coming to the city today will change their ways and say hey did you realize there's some show going on put on by a bunch of kids at WAPA that's absolutely fantastic go in and see it they'll be uh, you know it'll, it'll, it'll change the place FOMO. We're going to have FOMO. FOMO. Yeah, the suburbs are going to get FOMO about what's going on in the city. That's a good thing. So we need, so we need to get them away from the tablets. So we're going to be live in the city, right? We're going to get more people in the city. More people are going to visit because of, because of everything that's going on. Mm. Then how is that going to spread, right? Because we're going to bring people into the city. We're going to bring them in at this stage to the western part of the city. You know, these areas that maybe not so linked so well. Your, your Yagan Square to your uh, Bell Tower um, across sort of this way. How does that spread out to the, to the dead east end of the city? How does it spread and, and improve? Northbridge and then the links out to Crawley and the University of Western Australia or West Perth. I mean, West Perth is there's your there's your Zegna mm, mm. Well, yeah, but you know you've got you're going to have say a whole area in in Subiaco East, right? There's a whole huge area. You know, we are so lucky that we're a city that's got some space that we can fill into. And what we're going to be able to deliver is a range of housing choices that's going to suit different family life cycles at different points in time, right? I mean, I can just speak from my... I lived in a bed sit for when I had no kids, but, geez, I really was happy to live in the suburbs when I had a heap of kids, right? But now the kids are gone, I'm going to change my way I live. So I'm going to go through whole bundle cycles. And there's going to be three and a half million people doing the same decisions at different times. What we've got to do is have housing choice within our community. And the majority at the moment, sorry, is, is for family housing. Yeah. So we, we've really got into that psyche of this is a family-friendly city and we've built our housing accordingly, yeah. not understanding that people are at different ages and stages. And West Perth was a beautiful residential yeah. suburb. It's got all these three-storey office buildings that are really easy to pull down and all the 10-storey mm. apartment complex. And, you know, you're 150 metres to Kings Park. Mm. It's, and there's a cat bus. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the city, but my dentist is in West Perth. It's pretty easy. And, and Bill and I are both bus catchers now, mm. I, I hear mm. from this morning. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I catch the bus and the train to, to work in places. So, you know, we're not... And we're not young, so as you know, people can change and understand it. But West Perth's easy. I think East Perth's a bit harder. Mm. But we've just done the study for Langley Park uh, from the causeway to Elizabeth Quay. And I think because the, wall, the rock wall's falling apart, so they've got to build something back. Mm. And Riverside Drive only needs half the amount, so you can at least get those lanes of, of traffic back. That something may well happen on Langley Park, and then that engage, then that makes it a lot better place to live if you've got things happening down there. So, there's, 
yeah, we haven't messed everything up yet, but we need to actually engage with the river and get people back there. Then you can get density that's special. It's better than anywhere else you can do if you engage it. There's a huge opportunity. It's just wonderful at the moment, the opportunity for the people, the next generation of architects and designers will have over the next 20 years will be a brilliant challenge. There's, a, there's certainly a great attraction living on the water. Everyone wants to see that, that water, especially West Australians. I think we all, we all want to see that water, which brings me to the beach. What do we need to do about our beaches? Or should we just leave it as it is because they're spectacular beaches? Do we, do we need to do something? You're going to have spaces like... <coughs> If you look at the history of our beaches, it's Cottesloe, right, Scarborough, yeah, now we've got Hillary's, but, you know, and we're stepping up. But, but again, they're nodes. They're nodes and focuses. So, you know, earlier you, you spoke about um, service paradise. It's just miles of high-rise, right? That's not going to happen in this place because if you look at what we've got, is what very good bits of sand dunes and stuff that's protected. We've got gaps in between, which is good, but we've got nodes. Now, you know, um, I'm sorry for the people of Cottesloe, but there are going to be a few other people that want to live there, right? They don't have the right to be the only people that's living there in their single-storey, two-storey houses. There are going to be some other people that want to live there. Scarborough's going to be a bit same, you know, Scarborough has gone from being the snake pit, so it's trying to actually reinvent itself, and there's been a number of high-rise buildings already approved there. But again, it's got, you know, it hasn't got the public transport that it ultimately will require, but it's got good bus connections. That's the reason why these beaches existed. You know, people would come to Perth and they would catch the train or catch the bus and go to... Scarborough, or go, to, or they not the train to Scarborough, but they catch the bus, or they catch the train to go to Cottesloe. It was a great place for the day, right? People in the hinterland went in there, right? So I just see that's going to naturally grow in greater density in those pods. And you know, if you've been to Rockingham lately, you know, the Premier's <laughs> electorate, they've got some great restaurants on the beach, uh, or you know, just off the beach. We did. Uh, and they put high-rise there. And yep. Rockingham didn't die as a result. In yep. fact, it's flourishing. In fact, we did the first high-rise. You know, Cedar Woods and I'm sure did the first high-rise down there. And I have to say, when I was first confronted with that opportunity, because I had to put my own money in it, I thought, you have to be joking. This bunch of uh, immigrant poms uh, are going to go onto the coast. Well, I tell you what, it was sold before I even got to the top, right? I was amazed. Then we did the next building. Then we pulled out for a while. But, you know, it didn't kill it. So there's there's all sorts of little pockets here, right, yeah. that, that, that need different things to, to allow Perth to grow, to allow it to cater for a bigger population, but also to, to help the city grow up and, and to help it become more attractive, which all at some stage has to come back to rules, regulations, and, and, you know, promotion of a certain area or, or a certain type of development, which all comes back to, to government. So, so what should the government's priorities be to make sure that Perth develops in the right way? Well, I've just had a look at Claremont redevelopment around the Oval. 
and that has been incredibly well received. You know, the take up there, multiple developers uh, coming in and doing the apartment blocks around what is a really lovely piece of amenity in the Oval, some great restaurants within walking distance and a train station. Now that's in the well-heeled western suburbs, but they still want the same thing that everybody else does, lots of amenity. But underpinning that was Development WA, the government's development arm, coming in and assembling the land and getting the development approvals. And it's very hard for an individual developer to clear the pathway for something of that scale. But that's when you get a good outcome. I, I think governments have been very good in what they've done today, right? And, and both, both sides of parliament, right? Government as a whole. You know, we work all over Australia um, and development agencies are the, the sort of the best thing I hear from the East Coast, wow, you've got a development authorities. You can get in and do something. Now, we started off with the Joondalup Development Corporation. You would have never had Joondalup happen if, if you relied on, you know, the, the state government at that point in time formed a development authority with a clear and precise mandate that sunsetted immediately they achieved it. We then went to Subiaco, East Perth. They've all been fantastic vehicles to take the worst parts of the city and do something with it, with a combined thing. Private enterprise could never, ever achieve East Perth, right? Private enterprise could have never achieved Subiaco, right, around the, the train station. It had to be a development authority. Now, we, now we've got one which is, you know, Development WA, which is a big one, but you need that you know, they're doing the right thing. They've done the right thing. I think they've, whether you, whatever you want to call it, Metronet or whatever, uh, but Metronet is smart because it's saying, here's a whole bundle of locations basically formed around train stations. Let's get some density there so we can get you out of your car. Because if we don't get you out of your car, this place will be gridlocked at, at three and a half million people. Sonia, Peter, you, you agree? Is that the government's priority? Um, I, yes, I, I think Development WA was Landcorp, whose yeah. job was to actually release enough land for the economic development of Western Australia, and the MRA was a development authority. So pushing them together is a bit... But I, th I think one of the failures of this government is some of the, some of the departments they pushed together to be efficient and mm. haven't necessarily worked that well. Um, so there's a bit of a conflict there because one is about making sure there's land available the other one is making sure it's well done mm. i think all the places that we like the and i think the stadium's in there because that was looking at where something's going and certainly claremont's a great success mm. they're pretty much you know they're, they're they're a bit bigger than what people had there but they they pushed it a little bit but not too far same as along the beachfront i think it's important if we i would set guidelines that yes you can have five stories along the beach and you can go taller I don't care how big further back it's when we go and have the whole front row is huge buildings that shade the, the beach and those sorts of things so if you're egalitarian that yeah we're protecting the beach we're not going to shade it and there's some people here mm. and there's then you have the, the activity down there and then maybe step back a little bit rather and have height there but bill and i know what we're talking about scarborough mm. was when we reviewed that we were saying look over the road you can go have a big tour i want to see it from rotnest and as a as somewhere mm. where you're coming mm. in but right on the beach, you need to be a bit more careful. Yeah. And it's the same, I think that's understanding the context, being polite to places and understanding and not changing them from what people liked about them is a really important thing. And I'm, 
I think that's missed a bit. When it's been done well, it's been really successful. And what our research shows is those places still feel democratic. Mm. Everyone feels welcome rather than it being a private enclave. Yeah, look, from our, our experience, um, Development WA have been instrumental with what we're contemplating um, down on Perth City Link. I mean, it's a challenging site. We've got two train lines running underneath it and the uh, and the bus dive there. It'll be the most connected university once it's open. But the, the challenge of getting that university built, you know, um, is requiring levels of collaboration between the university and um, Dev WA and government at levels I don't know that has, has happened on other sites before. and. Um, Honestly, they haven't skipped a beat and been a real, a real enabler in our project to date. Marion, Bill, Sonia, Peter, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank Cheers. In our next episode titled Diversity, Marion and I will be joined by business executive and gender equality advocate Diane Smith-Gander and Centre for Equality in the Workplace Managing Director Terry Fitzsimmons. We look forward to having your company then.